Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast, the show for entrepreneur dads, consultant dads, senior leader dads who want to show up differently in their lives to find a deeper peace of mind, more connection with their families, and more creativity and productivity in their lives. To mark the beginning of season four, I'm running a competition. For anyone who rates and reviews the shows on Apple Podcasts, uh, I'll enter you into a free draw for two free coaching sessions with me. I'll be announcing the winners at the end of season four. You can find out more details on the website, www.heartofdad.com. This week on Heart of Dad, I'm interviewing Richard Gordon Kelly. He's a father, partner, coach, and his purpose is making a difference in people's lives, bringing his enthusiasm, positiveness to people and organizations by being committed to what makes them feel truly alive. Over the past 20 plus years in business with success in leading training, continuous improvements and transformation programs, Richard works with individuals, teams, and organizations across a variety of fields. As a lifelong learner, Richard loves reading the latest research and practices in coaching, leadership, and organizational development. He continues to grow in his understanding of the three principles, and he's recently co-created the Men Don't Talk Group Belgium, and hosted several of the Power of Now webinars with the Entrepreneurs Network. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm delighted to introduce Richard Gordon-Kelly. Hi, Richard. Hi, Matthew. It's really great to have you on the show. Thanks again. Thanks again uh, for allowing me to be here. It's been uh, been listening a lot to your podcasts and uh, found them very, very interesting indeed. So thank you again. Yeah, well, thank you to you. And uh, I know just from the chat we've been having um, before I hit record, that's going to be a brilliant conversation. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So, so just to start off, uh, Richard, could you give us a little bit of a sense of who you are and where you are in the world, uh, just for people who don't know you? Yeah, uh, originally from Manchester, the UK, and uh, moved, moved over to Belgium uh, in 2002, so it's nearly 18 years ago now, and uh, got married, had two children and got divorced, so I... Uh, I have two children that I have uh, every two weeks and I have a great new partner as well. So that's also a good stance uh, to create something new with the children. And uh, yeah, I've been coaching for over five years, but actually didn't realize I'd been actually coaching for much longer as we shared before. And so it's interesting how we have the blinkered uh, effect on where we are and what we think we're doing and where we want to be in this world of creating a career, but uh, actually everything just kind of pans out itself and pan, creates something for us. So the path was already there for X number of years, but uh, I kind of took hold of it uh, in 2015 in going more into coaching. Yeah, well, we'll dive into that because there's, there's a kind of an interesting thread to, to explore just in how the path unfolds. I love that expression you just said. But um, yeah, just to start off with, um, you know, it'd be great to hear a bit more about how, um, how you've adapted to being a dad to, to two kids you know, in, in a, a post-divorce. You know, how has that unfolded for you? Yeah, it's kind of a, a shock sometimes when you we realize, don't you know, you, you you've kind of lost your other half for whatever reason, for whatever that is, and that kind of took me into uh, several stages of seeing how I could be a father to my children in a way that I wasn't possibly before, and really just showing up as much as I could for them and 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 loving them as much as I could was 
my role, I felt, in, in supporting them as they've developed. I've got a daughter now who'll be 16 tomorrow, and I have a son who's 12. And um, when I got divorced, my son was three. So that was pretty hard for both of us, uh, for a young lad to uh, experience his parents splitting up and then getting divorced. And my elder daughter just kind of was, yeah, she was wanted to be the little mom and help out and sort out her brother and stuff while dad did stuff, and et cetera, et cetera. But I tried to balance that out as they've grown up, basically. I give them both time to have time with me. And if that means we go for a walk, I go for a walk with my daughter who likes walking now. Or it's my son who likes to let play a little bit on the PlayStation or dad, can we go and play basketball, football or something just for an hour? So they have their time with me. And I think that's very important that that time is not just to actually play the activities, but actually to to connect, to talk, to uh, to be be present with them because it, 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 it flies by. Mm. We've always heard the expression, it flies by when the children are they're there when they're in their nappies and then they're 18 and they're off and out. And so being that, now being that responsibility of being a father again, <laughs> it's kind of, whoa, that's, yeah, it's interesting. So how, how, how were things for you nine years ago when you, when you went through that divorce? There was that, that sense of you know, loss of, another half, but I guess a loss of a particular view of life that you thought you might have had at that point. Yeah, very, yeah, I, I actually, I, 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 at this time, well, I've actually shared about it. I, I was in, I had a bit of a depression as well from it. Mm. It knocked mm. me back. Um, the children were great. When I had them, they were great, but I, I just wanted to go back into bed, crawl back into bed put the covers over me. It was uh, very emotional. You know, you've been with someone for a good number of years and then they turn around and say, no, I don't love you anymore. And you've put all that love and affection and everything into the relationship and then have that big explosion in front of you. It's uh, People take it in different ways and I took it kind of being a little bit depressed over it. How did you come through that, Richard? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because I had a good friend and she invited me, her and her partner, to a New Year's Eve event. And actually, I was just sat there at this New Year's Eve party and I just went, oh, sugar, it's been a year and I've been depressed. I need some help. And it was interesting because I just said to the lady and her partner, I said, look, I'm just going to leave now. But I've realized, she says, I saw that months ago. She says, but I don't, you know, we don't say anything because it's, you've got to find it yourself. So, well, I've just found it now on New Year's Eve. So that's my New Year's Eve resolution. Mm-hmm. Get a new life and move on. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And within three or six months, I was back on track and rocking and rolling again. What, what about for your children in, in that period? I guess um, children are very quick to adapt and resilient in the face of change. But you know, what, what did you notice? I guess your daughter was a bit older than, than you, obviously older than your son. She would have been yeah. like seven, seven, uh, eight. Yeah. yeah. So an age where she would 
have a deeper understanding of what was going on. How did, how did she, she live, live that? Mm. Yeah, she she really had that understanding of she was taking the role of looking after her brother and uh, a lot. Uh, but she could see sometimes that wasn't okay. And, uh, you know, she would die. It's okay, brother, let's go to bed now. You know, when I'd say it's bedtime, you know, she would kind of help out and make sure at that age, you know, that her brother was sleeping there and everything was okay. I would go up later and then do them the stories, etc. She just helped out a little bit. She saw that it wasn't right for that to be like this. It's mm. amazing. So. Yeah. A really kind of loving, you know, uh, we both work in a space where we're kind of pointing people to their inner wisdom and uh, it sounds like your daughter was really connected with something there that, that helped you all pull through. Yeah, and she still is. This is the interesting thing now. She's 16 and she still, she still kind of has that intuition that's there and she likes to get curious and she likes to ask questions and I think that's that's wonderful to see and uh, blessed that she continues to, yeah. to have that um, are you have you have your kids been brought up bilingual and I guess living in Belgium they they would be they? yeah they they are French and English speaking mm -hmm. so and they also mm -hmm. learn uh, the Dutch side as well so it's mm -hmm. three languages and it's not too bad Mm. And do you do you communicate with them only in English or do you only in English? Yeah. Totally one hundred percent in English. Um, I think it's not fair to give something else differently than just English to them because you know it, it, they get that sense of emotions etc. That's linked to what I'm saying in English, and so me trying to say it in French is not the same as trying to say it in English. So. It's always been a, a part for me, even the first time when they were both born, it was just always in English. And you mentioned you have somebody new in your life now. How, how's, how's that sort of fitting in with, with your children? So I guess, you know, when you bring somebody new into your life, there's a period of working out those relationships. Everything's new again, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, there's ups and downs with anything in relationships. There's nothing rosy. <laughs> we're going to have the moments where they're going to think of things and we're going to think of things and we just have to adapt and change accordingly and so you know there are moments where we're all playing together and there's moments where you know one of them's going well, I don't like this and don't like that and we know okay it's just the process they're going through how did you decide to to make the introduction and at what point with your with your new partner it was just a slow process, slow process. Both of us have had the experience of uh, both being separated with children. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it wasn't to rush straight in. It was just to do it nice and slowly. And, um, you know, children often know about these things before we even tell them that, that your kids have a sense that life was changing for you and that you were exploring these yeah. things. Yeah, it was interesting because actually I told my children we'd gone to the UK. Then I explained to them that I was, I'd met my my new partner and Natalie, and that we'd uh, wanted to be kind of be more together, etc. And it was interesting. The both on the boat went, "Ah, you see, told you." 
<laughs> Told you. He was seeing her. He was happy with that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's interesting how they, as you say, they pick it up. Mm. The intuition is always there. And uh, it was fun sharing that with them on the boat and they were like yeah hey, hey, okay uh, okay can we go another <laughs> we walk around there and uh, it's okay yes. right, okay that's end of the conversation <laughs> nice so you know, before we hit record we, we, you were telling me a little bit about your you know, your career path and um you've done some extraordinarily varied things in your life as well as had a you know, successful career in business and now you're, you've been a coach for five years. You know, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your life journey through work, you know, how you ended up being a, a roofer and a fruit and veg seller as well as you know, working in business. And yeah, well, the fruit and veg was helping out with my, my sister and her husband, mm-hmm. the, the, the shops and stuff. I used to go to the markets and help load up the, the trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's stemmed from, I mean, I was at school and I, I got bad grades and for whatever reason, until I found out later what it was, I, I just found it hard to try and get any type of work. Uh, I did even selling photocopiers for a few months. Uh, I'd done, like I said, the roofing helped a friend who was a roofer. We'd be putting roof on top of the schools and then playing American football <laughs> on top of the roof, as you do, you know, when you're young and having fun like that, but also working it hard as well. Um, worked in engineering as a buyer for a good few years. And that was an experience because you had to negotiate with people at different levels, run, run the projects, but also work with the guys on the shop floor who can, there's some, some characters there as well. So having to deal with the different personalities and listen to what's going on was uh, kind of evident for me at an early stage. Mm-hmm. And later on, I went to university at 24, a bit late for quite a few people, packed in my job and said, okay, let's go to uni. And actually found out that um, the problems I had at school were related to me being dyslexic. And that created uh, an investigation over several weeks, months even, of tests and, and see what was going on. And the student support was absolutely fantastic at the university. Uh, I got, yeah, all the tests from the dyslexia center. I sweated like a pig in front of all these tests that they gave me. I couldn't understand why I'm sweating so much, but, you know, it kind of related to what was going on. You know, I was really focusing and putting effort in. It was just nothing coming there. So they said, yeah, you're totally 100% dyslexic. You can't one, you can't write a sentence, but you can actually speak it powerfully, but you can't write it. What was it like? Yeah, I was going to say, what was it like for you to to receive? um, I'm going to use the word diagnosis. It's maybe not the right appropriate word, but it's at least that sort of confirmation of something. It was a big relief. Extremely took a lot off my shoulders because I went into like my final year doing my degree. I got taught how to do my mapping and and in such a way for my final marks, they just rocketed. Really, the final grades were just amazing because you do a, a marketing exam. You sit there for X number of hours and I created more my mind maps of all the information that was 
on the paper that from the question I created it as a mind map and the external examiners would actually read the rhyme the mind maps than the, than the actual paper mm. itself mm. because they could actually follow the process and it was a big relief really it was a big relief you I know mean, when you get like an average 45 50 60 percent in your marketing for an example and you're getting 90 odd percent in your final mark there's a big difference and it, it just showed me it wasn't that I wasn't stupid or anything like that. It's just how my brain had set itself up. How did that um, change your image of yourself, if at all, at that point? Well, yeah, it, it kind of boosted, gave a big boost, mm. a huge boost. It was a big change for me. I was actually able to go out to that world and, and, and know that I could create something and do something. That's, you know, you've, you, you've mentioned um, kind of the difficult characters on the shop floor and I wondered if, you know, both, both your experience of very diverse work environments but also that, that personal challenge of undiagnosed dyslexia and then coming through, you know, through adversity there and actually finding your own way of expressing yourself that was, you know, very compelling and powerful. That that, that supported you with that. Um, Immensely, yeah. Can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, because I see that speaking is my strength. You know, I can go on a podcast, you can put me on stage and I'll speak. But you ask me to write? It's not the same. It doesn't come out as authentic. It doesn't come out as being truthful, but it is truthful, but it is expressed differently as when I'm speaking. I remember being asked as, um, I was a director of an association here in Belgium and we were doing a Congress and we had um, the local committee and the, the president of the local committee. We had over six, 700 people in the gala dinner. And he did his speech, etc. And then he said, oh, Richard, do you mind coming up? And I'm like right in the corner out of the way because, you know, I, I let them run their show, etc. So I had to go up and I did a 10-minute presentation. And I remember my president afterwards going, uh, do you know what you said there? Well, no, not really. He said, well, you've just mesmerized 700 people <laughs> because they were all fixed on what you were saying there. Mm. And it was very powerful what you were saying it was all truth and it was all authenticity and i was I'm like really yeah. go for it yeah i was going to say that kind of really put me on the like wow you know can i really be that powerful when i speak sometimes and it, and it shows that now when i do the coaching with people how they come away energized come away calmer and I can really feel that in, in spending time with you, that you have, um, you know, it's not just the content of what you say, it's how you deliver things. So there's, a, there's a very particular, very still energy about it. Do you, do you have a sense of where that originates from? Yeah. Uh, I believe a large percentage comes from my father, hmm. from his... From, from my upbringing with my father, you know, I'm the youngest out of four, so I've got two older brothers and one older sister. And 
there was a huge age gap between us and well, them and me, I would say. But um, yeah, my father was, uh, he wasn't a prolific writer, but he would write in a way that he could express things, but he was also good at speaking as well. He had that power of, of the words that he was choosing that came out and, and just reflected how he was feeling and with people, etc. Mm. What are your earliest memories of being touched by your father when he spoke? Uh, I remember when I was about three or four, he used to come in because he'd come in for work, but I realized after it, he'd actually been traveling. He'd, he'd been away for a few weeks because <laughs> he was working as a salesperson across the UK. But I remember I used to run up and, and jump in his arms and I could feel the, the, soft, uh, the softness of his skin, but also the, the coldness of his skin. Mm. You know, that was the, that was a memory for me with my father. And then later on, um, my father became ill. Uh, uh, sorry, he was, what, 55, 56. Um, he fell off a bike in Holland, but uh, they all said it was that, the, the result of what he had. But um, he was bedridden for six years. He had actually cerebellum palsy, which was uh, which meant was he had no muscle movement. He couldn't open. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He couldn't go to the toilet or anything like that. He actually couldn't move. So for the last yeah, good four or five years, he was really in bed all the time, and uh, that was a big change for me because you know you see your father growing up. I was still quite young. I was in my teens, eighteen or so. And, you know, you see your father struggling. It's kind of scary, you know, to see that, you know, the man who used to play good top-level amateur football when he was when he was young in the 40s and 50s, <laughs> and then, you know, doing weights and keeping himself fit and then actually not able to do anything at all. Mm. You know, that was a big shock to the image. Must be, yeah, must have been an enormous shock. And, and um, from what you were saying, your dad wasn't able to, to speak anymore from, from that time on. No, we used to have fun. We used to actually laugh and cry at the same time because uh, it was a 24-7 for my mum looking after him. And uh, so I used to, when she said, you know, can you have look after your dad for the evening? I need to go out. I want to go out. So... We used to have fun watching TV upstairs in his room, and uh, we watch uh, oh, Tommy Cooper, or we watch a bit of the boxing on TV, or something where he just wanted to laugh. And he, he laughed, you know, he could see his face was smiling and he was slivering and all that because he was just crying because he was laughing. But actually, at the same time, <laughs> he's actually peeing in his catheter and his catheter's overflowing. So, you know, you're like, oh, shit, the bed's wet, right? Okay, so we had to get everything changed. And yeah, but he would always have a smile on his face. He always give a thumbs up. And, you know, for the last, really, for the last two or three years of his life, he really was present so much. They had a good faith. My brother and father were both going to the church and it helped them, especially my father, to pass over very quietly. 
I'm leaving a pause because it just feels reverent to really and using a podcast to leave the silence, but just that, that's yeah. really what I'm what I'm called to when you when you share that story, Richard, that it's really profoundly moving and doesn't doesn't need too much commentary. It's just you can really feel the emotion behind it. Yeah, I mean to see, as I say, your father from being active to being disactive and then passing away, you 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 kind of yeah, it kind of puts your world upside down. Mm. And I know afterwards when he passed, unfortunately, the, the, the uncomfortable thing was he passed away on Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day was my mother's birthday. Mm. So it kind of put a big bombshell for a good few years to everyone, to my brothers and my sister. It was a real big shock. To have that, and to have it at at the same time as celebrating a, a birthday, and then actually seeing someone pass by. So uh, that was a strange event that night. Yeah, I mentioned. How does your dad's legacy live on in you now? I think through how he would look after us, you know, and how he would, you know, as I said, my older brothers and sisters, my, my two brothers were good footballers. And uh, my, one of my brothers had trials for some of the Premier League teams <laughs> at the time. But he'd never go and watch them. He'd drop them off. He'd say, okay, go and do what you want to do. But I'm not there just to be the dad of... You know, if you want me, you talk to me and I'll support you in that way. But I'm not there to be watching the game. I've done my part. It's up to you now to create your part, your life with what you want to create with it. And he did that for everything. He did that for all of us. You know, he did that with me. I remember when I did my sports, he just dropped me off. Do your best. I remember my exams. He used to say, you know, the teacher's going, yeah, but your son's not doing well. He's doing his best. You know, he reads and he writes and he's doing his best. For whatever happens after that, we don't know. And he had that character with him. You know, okay, he's all right. He'll do well. You know, he had that faith of, uh, yeah, an unconditional love. Mm. You can really uh, feel that sort of solidity within yourself that you know that as a truth. Yeah. Your children obviously would, didn't know their their grandfather. What what did you what do you tell them about their grandfather? What stories do you share? Yeah, well, they had when we used to go over to visit my mother. We had the, the photos there of yeah. him, and uh, I used to explain to them. You know, your grandfather did this for me, and we did that, and your grandfather was ill, so they knew everything that had happened to my father. You know, and they had a close connection with my mother. She actually passed away this year as well. So uh, not been actually been over to see the grave yet, but uh, eventually will. But they actually created a sp- strong bond with her as well. And uh, I think also if my father had been alive as well, they would have had a good bond with them as well. If you don't mind me asking, what's been the impact on on you now that both parents have passed away? Hmm. 
I think there was a bit of releasing of freedom for my father because of what he had had. And I won't expect that any person to have that type of uh, experience of being ill in that way. And it was a bit of a relief for everyone because the suffering he must have gone through, not able to do anything, etc. And for me, that was kind of, you know, it was sad, but it was actually great that he actually had gone so that he didn't suffer anymore. And then actually my mother as well, she just uh, actually had Alzheimer's and dementia towards the end. So she was like a big kid for the last few years. <laughs> and it was always fun because, you know, she would come knocking. If I'd go and visit her and she'd go out, she'd knock on the windows like she was like a seven-year-old girl again, just knocking and excited to see us again. So, you know, it's fun memories. And yet, uh, yeah, I miss them. You know, they were, they're the ones who uh, gave me this life to uh, create what I want to create out of it. So I've got great experiences and great knowledge and understanding of who I can be and who I am. Mm, mm, I really hear that. And and what are you drawn to create and, you, um, and are creating at the moment? I mean, I love that question and reflection. Creating curiosity, having conversations. I love it. I really love that opportunity of just talking to people. I've had several opportunities this past few weeks. It's been quite a lot more people wanting to talk to me. So it's been good. <laughs> you know, everyone's kind of struggling with the situation, how to deal with things and with COVID and how the work's going. But when you get several CEOs having given their time just to have a conversation with you, and they leave it going, wow, that was kind of interesting. Let's have another conversation. You think, well, that's wonderful, isn't it? When you have no expectations of anything and you create something out of nothing, hmm. it's actually, it's wonderful. Can I ask you about anger? Because you know, of, of all the people I've had on my podcast, you just seem in such a gentle, kind of connected energy. What what, what place does anger play in your life, if, if at all? I think, as you related to it before, you, you were sharing about my parents. I think the anger was knowing that my father, from being fit and healthy to being ill so quickly, the anger for me was that's not fair. That's not fair. And I used to get very upset about that. Anger also for my mother, because, you know, she, it wasn't fair for her to also to have this Alzheimer's and dementia. Why her? And yet, yeah, anger also, you know, the relationship that I had before with my ex-wife, that was anger. But then I kind of said, well, you know, if I can see it angry on one side, what's on the other side? <laughs> Which one do I prefer? Which one would I like to create more? I think the lovingness and the kindness and, and being serving to people is more effective than 
being bitter, frustrated and angry about events that had happened that had already been planned, that had all been there. It's just, I experienced it. And don't get me wrong, there's been other incidents where I've been angry. But now I see like, you know, that was just an experience. Knowing where it comes from and knowing that it's just a thought makes a big difference. Huge difference. Your, your children are kind of a, a bit older now, but they're, I guess, um, I mean, there's still plenty of scope to get, to get angry with kids when they're teens or preteens. But how, how how's anger played out is in in your experience of fatherhood? Yeah, I was. If we go back, yeah, from the divorce, yeah, I was angry and bitter and twisted and upset. My children picked up on that. And as I said, I had that depression for a while over that, mm. which didn't help. But on the other side was, I found that by changing that thoughts and actually doing something that was totally opposite, doing sports, walking around, doing stuff, making, having fun, etc., changed everything. So, you know, we, we, we all have these experiences. And the fact is, if we can know that it's actually a strength instead of a weakness, mm-hmm. it makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. What would you say to other dads who have experienced that? You know, I think I really wanted to acknowledge what you shared about depression after divorce, because I imagine that that is not uncommon. Um, I know when I've had relationship breakups, I've had that experience. Um, without having children, but what you know, what would you say to for other for other dads listening who who've separated and have an experience of depression? Yeah, I think it's you know when you start to realise that something's not right, you know it's good to ask. You know the the expression of ask and receive. You know, by asking, I actually asked a good friend and shared about what had actually happened. And we had conversations. And then another guy supported me by going, we go and play sport. We did golf. I had another friend. She would just, again, go and visit her at the farm and, and just do stuff on the farm. It just took me away from things. And, and, and in that way, I had conversations. And in the conversations, we brought it up. And when the conversations were starting to open up more, I started to open up more and, and started to kind of clearly understand who I could be and who I wasn't. You know, it's not nice walking around with your eyes kind of black. No, definitely not. I love that, you know, what you were sharing earlier about the kind of the insight at New Year's Eve that kind of woke you up to how you were experiencing life and that, and that decision that from then on it was going to change. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. You just sat there and there's about 20, 30 people having fun and you're going, what the heck have I been doing? Hmm. I really just sat there and I was like, oh, I can't this it's always been a big dream it's Mm. almost just been one big dream for one year what the heck's been happening and then when i saw what 
uh, how I was and how I reacted to people. The anger and frustration of it was all because of that period. And then, as you say, having that like a firework kind of said, okay, let's go home. Let's go to sleep. And you're going to be okay. And that's exactly what I did. I went home, had a great sleep, woke up that next day, bright and early, feeling as though something was changed. And then it just started from there. Amazing. And I love that expression, let's go home, because, you know, that was literally, but also kind of metaphorically, you were kind of coming home to yourself, weren't you? Yeah, I literally was. Mm. I literally was. I felt calmer. Mm. I felt as though something kind of went over me. Mm. It was... It's hard to express in words, but it was just something that was like, <sighs> maybe it was something similar to when I found I was dyslexic. Just that <sighs> release of things, yeah. just kind of was like, you know, I'm normal. I'm okay. You know, I'm a human being, you know, living this life and there's actually nothing wrong with me. <laughs> sounds like, sounds like grace to me. Sounds like a yeah. moment of grace. Yeah. yeah. So one, yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, also, which we didn't talk about before we hit record, but I think this is right. You, you, you're running some men's group, aren't you, with a couple of other guys? Yeah. 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 Tell, that, tell, tell me what got you, got you interested in doing that and what, you, what your experience has been of, of running a um, Yeah, well, group. we I, I've seen several men's groups over several years, and we have a colleague of ours, Ankish, Ankish Jane, that you know, we both know well, mm. and... It was interesting listening to him, how he was creating his men's groups, etc. And yet I thought, well, I'd love to do it one day and I will do one of his sessions, one of his weeks uh, as well. But I thought, I want to do something different. So I had a conversation with uh, Andy and Sasha over several years, actually, two years. And um, eventually in... February, March of this year, they kind of said, yeah, okay, we're interested. So what is the why? Why are we doing this? Mm. And we started to have a deep conversation and the, for now a couple of hours every week. And then I said, okay, guys, let's create it. So we created it in April of this year. It's gone live uh, 1st of April. We went live 1st of April. We've been doing webinars ever since. And we've got about 70, 80 guys. And we get an average of about 10 to 12 guys on a webinar every two weeks. And it's just not guys from Belgium. It's guys mm. from, yeah, UK, Germany, Canada, you name it. They, they, they just, they like to come in. We have a conversation on a topic, a theme. We ask to respect the rules, to respect others. And... It's so powerful each time when we finish that conversation and everyone's left and there's just the three of us there and we're going, wow, this is the reason why we created this. Because we're getting so much from people and how they share and how energetic, energetic they are and how things can be so present. An hour and a half flies by. <laughs> We could do two or three hours. You know, can you imagine what it'd be like if we actually met up and did something really together? You know, the conversations would last much longer. 
And it's very rewarding for all three of us to have that. And everyone brings their own contribution and his writing and his skills of articulating the words and, and getting the themes and the content. And for me, just exposing myself on video and saying, hey, guys, let's get out mm. there. Let's talk. And, mm. and Sasha with his creativity of ideas and images, etc. And the three of us, it works, it works wonderfully well. And it's nice when you see guys, they come in and we always ask them several questions every time, the same questions. And two or three of them have always said, they always look forward to these sessions. It really helps them more than we think. And beautiful. again, that's so beautiful to, mm. to hear from guys who we know they've got problems and eh? we know they're struggling in so many different ways. And yet they come on and they share and they say that and you kind of go, well, we're doing something that's great for these guys. What, what in your mind have been the most powerful topics that you've explored in your group? Yeah, we actually did actually have a conversation on that. Loneliness was one. That's a big one for men and women, but uh, for the men, it's 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 especially through divorce, through relationship issues. But not only that, I think relationships as well with other men, like in sport or etc. That's kind of a big one. Um, we've picked up another one on toxic masculinity. Again, that was interesting how other people saw that and how they felt that toxic was, wasn't really comfortable with people. And um, we actually have got the next one, which is actually quite an interesting theme as well for next week, which is on hurt and being hurt and hurting others. So we're exploring different avenues with it because, you know, it's... It's the group for them as well. It's just myself and the other two guys creating, but it's for them as well. So the contribution from other people is actually interesting. How they're seeing things and how they want to contribute in their own way. But loneliness, yeah, that was a topic we had for a good few few sessions, I mm. must admit. Yeah, that really resonates when I was doing um, some preparation for the Heart of Dance Summit, which I think you do a part in as well. Um, that question I asked about loneliness was one of the highest scoring. Um, mm. So many men said that they, you know, in, even when they're in relationships, they can feel lonely. And, yeah. Um, great topic. Maybe that's something we could, you know, we could explore another time in, in greater depth. Um, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to, or, you know, if, if dads are listening as well and they're interested in, in, and, you know, if they can join any group, even if it's a men's group or what a type of group it is, that's, that's, it's very rewarding if they can do that. And, and I'm thankful that, you know, not only listening to the groups that we have, we're both involved in, etc. But I think, you know, just reaching out there and saying, hey, I'd like to join. I'd like to have a discussion and contribute. And even contribution is just being present there in, in the Zoom or in a conversation and just sitting there. It's a step forward. It's a step sure. forward. Yeah. And it's interesting, like you say, it's kind of, we brought it out to say about loneliness, but I think it's been there for years, many years. You know, I, 
as we're just saying now, I'm just reflecting now. There must have been loneliness for my father as well in his times before he became ill. But, but yeah. you know, so it's interesting how it's great that we actually are pushing it now and, and saying, hey, let's share about this. Let's talk about this because it is important that men, fathers, dads start to kind of say, you know, I am vulnerable, but it's okay to be vulnerable. Because if we don't, then the children don't don't grow. They grow with the same approach, same understanding, and they don't develop. They don't change, and, and that's important. Mm. That's important. Yeah, I really agree with you. I think one of the things that, that comes through this work and this podcast is that um, you know, we have an opportunity to create generational change as dads and to, to bring a, a new way of being as dads that helps our children be more fully expressed versions of themselves, more in that authentic, connected um, dialogue. And that some of that is by dropping away some of the old stereotypes and pressures of masculine identity so i love i love what you're exploring through your uh, your men's group it it really seems such a rich and um, valuable valuable area yeah yeah it is and you know it's interesting how my son's kind of said well, what do you do in that group dad you know he's had a few problems himself at school and it took him a while to share to us what had actually happened to him, etc. But when he shared, it was like a big relief for him as well. And it's interesting how, as you say, if we can just make something different, something, something small, something mm. small steps different for our children, for the future of our children, for other children, for other generations, even for men and fathers, dads, you know, even this little this podcast that you're creating here and, and the people that you've had on, you know, it touches someone. It, it's, 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 it's a start. Mm. It's a big start. Yeah. Richard, it's been a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself um, during this conversation. Where, where can people go and find out more about you? Well, thanks Matthew. Uh, yeah. They can find me on the Facebook it's easy to find Richard Gordon Kelly and also on uh, <laughs> Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and also my website, richardgordonkelly.com as well. It rolls off the tongue more effectively, more efficiently. So Yeah, I love we, we were talking about that before we went live, didn't we? And um, it does. It's, 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 it's a very musical name when you say Richard Gordon Kelly. Yeah. I pay I pay homage to my father. I have his <laughs> I have his name in my middle name. So it took me a good fifty years to kind of realise let's use that name. Mm-hmm. So there we go. I'm using it now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks again for taking time to be on the podcast. My pleasure, Matthew. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to the Heart of Dad podcast. My mission is to get this podcast out to as many dads as possible to help them be in the conversation, which is a different one about being a dad. And you can help that. If you found this podcast valuable, could you do me a really big favour? And that's just to think of one other dad you could share this with. And to do so, send him a link to the podcast, get him involved in the conversation. Thank you so much.